My guest today is a very old friend. His name is not in age, just an old friend, Ryan Smith. He joined ESPN in uh, February of 2017. He left me when I was still with Steve Harvey, just watching him on TV. I was just doing radio with him, this little old Steve Harvey morning show with him back in the day. Host <laughs> on ESPN's Outside the Line and East. E60, as well as New York-based corresponding. He added anchoring Sports Center to his role in 2019. In addition to his role as a host, Smith reports on feature stories and investigative pieces while providing legal analysts across multiple ESPN platforms and ABC News. Before joining ABC News, Smith served as the nightly news anchor at CNN's Headline News. That's where we met. Where he, where he reported on a variety of stories, including the tragedy of Sandy Hook Elementary School and some of the most high-profile trials, including the Casey Anthony trial, and George Zimmerman. As a legal analyst, he has offered perspective of many sports-related stories for ESPN, including recently the shift in NCAA policy on players earning money. He's here today to talk about that. And by the way, he's from Philadelphia, and he's proud of it. Please welcome yeah. to Money Making Conversations, my man, Ryan Smith. How you doing, Ryan? <laughs> Good, Rusham. What's going on? How you doing, well, man? I'm doing great, man. You're just watching a, a, a friend, you know, just see, you know, we all got that hustle. And uh, of trying to, and then you, and first of all, let me tell you this: he ain't through. Uh, sitting up there, this, he's doing some amazing things, but his rise is still on the rise. And when I see where you're at and what you're trying to achieve, what's the goal for you, Ryan? What's the goal? You know, it's funny. When I first started in this industry, I always had this thing where every year I would say, "Well, I want to have this role. I want to have this job. I want to have this. I want to anchor this show. I, I want to lead this brand." Mm -hmm. And after a while, I just discovered, Rashawn, that it wasn't getting me happy. I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I felt like I was always chasing something. Mm -hmm. So the goal, actually, for me right now, is to love what I do. Right. And, and I know that's cliche, and I know people are going to be like, oh, whatever, man. You would love, love to like run the 11 o'clock sports center. Actually, what I would love to do is be able to continue to anchor, which is my favorite thing in the world to do, work-wise, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and Still have time to spend time with my boys, my family. I got two boys. They're seven years old, twins. Awesome. My wife. I, I like having a balanced life. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not just about anchoring one show or doing one brand or making this amount of money. For me, it's can I continue to anchor shows that I love, that I'm interested in, and stuff that motivates me. And so right now, I'm kind of living my goal. But, <laughs> but to be honest with you, I mean, for me, it, it's continue to do this work. And continue to do it better and better every day. Well, you know, sports is really, um, we see it transcending. You know, we're seeing the, the honesty. I remember when Kevin Love several years ago admitted he had an emotional uh, health crisis. And everybody went, wow, it's pr so proud of you to step out of your your your, your window, you know, your shell in that situation. Because people used to say, and then well, recently, um, uh, Dak Prescott. Uh, spoke of his issues that he was having emotionally. And then I, we look at now what happened with Osaka when she pulled out of the French Open, and then we see what happened to Simone Biles. When you see as a reporter, that has to be a high level of sensitivity because you can't take anything personal or you can't judge anything. How has that changed your perspective, Ryan Smith, of reporting just in general, but it's more importantly on the platform of ESPN? Yeah, it's been really interesting. When Kevin Love came out with his statement, and other folks like Dak Prescott, like you mentioned, came out with their uh, statements about taking care of their mental health. We recognized them, we heard them, but it never stopped them from doing their athletic competitions. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing athletes saying, look, I, I know this is the biggest stage in the world, but uh, you know, at this time, it's not the right time for me to perform. Mm -hmm. That's something we haven't seen before. So I think for us, the important thing is A, 
like you say, not judge and be sensitive. We are in a different time now. I know there are people out there who are saying, but your mental health, come on, you're at the Olympics, Simone Biles. You got to perform. But you know what? We are in a different generation. We are in a generation where I think, and I, I give young people credit, where young people are willing to say, you know what? There might be another opportunity down the road. There might not be. Right. But what's more important for me is that I perform when I feel mentally right to perform. Mm -hmm. And that's something we haven't seen before. I got to say, it's something that I have never seen. I mean, I can tell you many times when I played sports and I was younger, I was not in the right mind frame. I felt like it was all the pressure was getting to me and it was difficult, right. but I felt like I had to do it. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that the younger generation, Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, and others are stepping up and saying, I don't have to do this if I don't feel right about doing it. Right. And I don't know, Rushan, if there's anything wrong with that. I, I think that's actually right. We assert that in our own lives. We tell our own children, don't be bullied into doing something. Don't, don't, if people tell you to do something, you don't want to do it. You say no. We tell that to our children. And yet on the biggest stage in the world, when they're feeling uncomfortable, we say I'm sure some people out there are saying, you know what? No, go perform. Right. That's the antithesis of what we've been trying to establish in our own lives. Mm -hmm. So I say, if I'm able to do it in my own profession, in my own life, I need to give that same leeway to, to, to athletes out there. And that's kind of how I approach it in reporting. I don't judge. I don't say anything about that. I acknowledge that it's different. But at the same time, I leave room for the explanation. Let's hear why. And also, Let's be sensitive to why understanding that everybody is different and everybody has their own perspective when it comes to mental health. Well, you know, the thing about it was like you referenced when you when you were playing and you, you was uncomfortable. But then when you was uncomfortable, you didn't have to deal with social media. You didn't have to deal with right. the likes or the criticisms. And that's really the baggage. I always tell people social media really is your own personal press conference. You don't have to call a press conference. You just post. And because of that, you know, you have the cell phones where a video can be you, you can stream. And so that electronic leash. And so you can't really get away. You know, back in the day when I was growing up, you know, hey, I could just I could I, I, I was I wasn't at home. Okay, when you called, that's not an excuse anymore. You know, then it went. Oh, you, I text you. I didn't get your text. Okay, that's not an excuse anymore. And so now, if you Simone Biles and you and you stumble or you or you do a spin or you fall off the balance beam, she goes to the home. It's criticism, and some of it's just nasty. And then it's the the commercial endorsement of people that put you on a pedestal, all that. And then the highlight reels, whether they whether the insensitive or not, to go to go home and you realize that you can't watch TV, you can't watch the media because they have all have their base stories. So somewhere, an athlete now is trapped in the media that also you know emotes their success, right? Yeah, but I will say this. And to your point, by the way, I was the last guy of all the people I knew to get a cell phone. Mm -hmm. I was the last guy to want to get <laughs> to be reached anywhere. My whole thing was when social media, cell phones, all that stuff blew up. That was the last thing I wanted to participate mm -hmm. in because I love my anonymity. Yes. I, I love being able to do my thing mm -hmm. and then disappear. Right, right. So this whole new generation of everybody putting their stuff out there all the time. I, I've just never really been in touch with that in the same way. But to your point. Here's the issue that I think a lot of athletes face. Mm -hmm. They want the adulation that comes with the success, but ultimately you are not always going to be successful. Right. And you have to be willing to accept the other side of it. Now I'm not speaking to Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles directly, but what I'm saying is I'm fairly certain, at least in some place in, in, in their minds, 
that they knew that criticism was going to come from making these moves. Mm -hmm. What I admire in them is that they're doing them anyway. Yes. Because that's hard. I mean, you talk about Simone Biles or Naomi Osaka, you know, millions of followers, people dissecting their every move. And yet still they're saying, you know what? I know the heat is going to come, but I'm still willing to stand up for what I believe is my mental health. And, and I really encourage people to take a long-term view of this. And I promise you, I'm not trying to be PC, but let's just think about this. Right. Let's say that she performed in the Olympics and her mental health was really deteriorating in ways that we could never imagine. Mm-hmm. And let's say things went really poorly for her or in her mind went really poorly. Mm-hmm. The Olympics is over. We all move on. We do our thing. She's still in that space. Months later, she's still in that space. Years later, she's still in that space. And I think that's what we miss when we're so quick to hit Twitter and criticize. Naomi Osaka talked about suffering from depression, not from a week ago before Wimbledon, but for months, for ages, suffering from from depression, just thinking about Mm -hmm. what it was like to face these questions. Mm -hmm. I I think we don't think about that because we're so short-term in our thinking. Mm -hmm. We're so like, anxious to read the next tweet or see the next win that we don't think about maybe Simone Biles is making this decision because it's not about today or tomorrow or the Olympics, but it's about how this might affect her for years to come. And I have to tell you, I have spoken to many athletes over time. They talk about the different things that affect them. And some of the deepest conversations I've had with some of the top athletes out there, when they talk about what affects them, it's not, you know, hey, it affected me for a month or two, and then I got back on the horse. Every athlete has that sense of, you got to forget about the last play. You got to forget about that. But I've spoken to a ton of athletes who don't, who, who are dogged by that yes. play that happened two years ago, that miscatch in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. that thing they didn't do in high school. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't think people think enough about the long-term effects of what can happen And so I give them credit for, in the face of all the criticism they might face, still stepping up and saying, you know what? You guys aren't going to think about how this might affect me today, tomorrow, next year, the year after. But I'm thinking about it and I'm stepping up for myself. Well, I I, I 100 percent agree with that because of the fact that I shared off air. My daughter, you know, she was a tennis phenom and uh, I could just tell, you know, the, the, the game and her effort was starting to differ. You know, our expectations and the effort yeah. she wanted to do was that, okay, she had been hitting the ball since she was six years old. When she was at 16, you know, she was definitely a pro ready. Then she broke her foot and then she came back and it was a shoulder. And then it was like an injury after injury. And then she kept coming back. And it was like, every time she came back, it was like, you can see a deterioration, mm. a mental and physical deterioration. And so a lot of yeah. people don't put that in perspective, the, the comeback. But more importantly, what we take away from this, and we're going to move on to other stories because you know, your career is, a, is something I want to talk about, how you were able to transition from the George Zimmerman's to the Simone Biles stories so seamlessly. And so especially your legal analyst side of it is that now when you look at young athletes, the part that really affects me the most now is the young athletes who are now getting paid in the NCAA because of the fact that now, you know, the expectations are differently now. You know, like they said, the young quarterback for the Alabama, he has almost a million dollars endorsement. Now I'm pretty sure that's not just one million. He may have like 10 different people who have given him money. So that's like 10 different people able to pull him or make demands on him and have expectations if he doesn't throw a touchdown, if he throws an interception. And so that whole part of the 
of the wire because when you look at these high profile people, they do have, you know, people psych, you know, uh, uh, coaches who are motivating there and they're brought on board to make sure they, they psych is together. They understand why they fail and why they achieve. Talk about that perspective, Ryan, when you see these young 18, 16 year old players getting $10,000, $100,000 and being turned around, but the expectations come with a penalty sometimes. Oh, it's going to be a challenge to see. And we got to see how it goes because name, image, and likeness has just started giving the athletes the ability to get this. But, Rashawn, I start from this place. The NCAA is a billion dollar industry, right. multi billion dollar industry. For years, everybody has been taking home the money except the people on the field, mostly black and brown folks. Yes. So, to me, the fact that athletes are now able to get money to make these deals is a win a huge win because we have to have that kind of system. We, we cannot simply say, oh, amateurism dictates that this guy can go run into a wall. He has to prove himself every single year because a lot of people don't know when you get a four-year full ride, it's not a four-year no, four full ride. Every single year, they got to re-up that ride. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't perform that first year, even though you're the best athlete in your state, they could be like, we're taking your scholarship away. Oh, you don't have enough money to go to the school? Nah, that's too bad. See you later. Doesn't matter what happens to you. That has been the life for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of athletes. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're able to collect and capitalize on their talent now, mm -hmm. I think young people, I think is a great thing. Now you talk about the idea of the pressure they face because of that. I think you're right. And I think it behooves them. And I think you're probably going to see industries popping up of folks who are going to manage those athletes mm -hmm. and manage those folks mm -hmm. to make sure that the pressure isn't too great. Right. But it, it, I think what we have to find out about all of this is how it will affect. It's just so new that we don't know what's going to happen to, say, someone like Bryce Young, who plays for Alabama, the quarterback you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And if things don't go well initially, what will his sponsors say? What will the people giving him endorsements say? Mm -hmm. I think that right now his agent and the people advising him, well, excuse me, the people advising him, not his agent, mm -hmm. have to be telling him, Look, be ready to take the good with the bad. Yes. That's what I always kind of, I think that's got to be a core part of athletics right mm -hmm. now, especially when you talk about these new areas of making money and managing different issues. You got to be able to accept the good with the bad. You're right. putting yourself out there. You're making endorsement money. You're putting yourself out there on social media. That's great. You just have to be able to accept the fact that there's a lot of haters out there, that there's a lot of people that are going to come at you, mm -hmm. that the first time you throw an interception... <laughs> That somebody might say, why are we paying this guy? Right. And I think you got to be ready for that expectation. That's what's going to be the interesting thing. Can these young people handle the idea that everything is not going to come up roses just because they're signing an endorsement contract or have a lot of status? And I think there's a number. I think we have to trust our young people and believe that, hey, they've gotten this far on this stage, despite all the criticism and the fans who have tried to attack them and the people have come out of them all the way through this journey to get where they've gotten. They can do it again. They can do it through this period as well. And the biggest thing about it is no matter what happens in their college career, they've got something for what they did on that stage that made billions of dollars for these universities. That I think is the most critical part of it. I appreciate that. I'm talking to Ryan Smith. Um, when Ryan Smith with ESPN, when we met, uh, sports weren't even part of our conversation. You know, it was, I was still business manager <laughs> Steve Harvey. We had the highlights. Still very successful Steve Harvey Morning Show, and uh, we both based in Atlanta. Yeah. He was in Atlanta, and I was always uh, 
get them on the show to talk about cases, cases like the Casey Anthony story from a legal perspective, from his perspective, George Zimmerman's story that we know that went down with Trayvon Martin and that whole trial that just that, 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 took control of the country and, and launched Benjamin Crump into his uh, rarefied civil rights era that he is in today. But I never saw this coming. I never saw the ESPN anchor. I never saw the sports side of you coming out. Talk about... Where you were, were at then, and then we're going to talk mm-hmm. about transitioning, because then I will see you pop up on ESPN doing legal analyst work. So, but let's talk about that journey in Atlanta when you and I first met, the perspective and the mindset you had to have versus the mindset that you have now as a sports anchor and an expert on sports, because you are an expert on sports because you anchor sports. Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you. So so first, I, I, to your question, I want to say... When I when you and I met in Atlanta, I had basically just gotten into TV. Mm-hmm. I, I was a lawyer, and around 2010, 2011, I just decided I kind of hit a wall with as far as I wanted to go practicing law. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting in television because I did guest spots here and there. Mm-hmm. Just uh, first, I made a reel. I had a producer friend who was like, you got to make a reel if you want to get into television. <laughs> I was just kind of thinking, maybe I'll do something. So I went out, I made a reel on the streets of New York, just interviewing random people. I interviewed a film director, a couple other folks. Somebody saw me on BET. Somebody saw my reel and they put me on a show called My Two Cents. I hosted that for a while. Then they, it was basically a show about the black community uh, curated by three other, me and three other people. And then uh, I ended up doing a Sharp Talk, which was Al Sharpton's talk show on TV One. Somebody on CNN saw me, went from there, went to other networks. And then finally, Court TV brought me on to be an anchor uh, for their new brand that they were launching at HLM. But Rashawn, I, I got to actually say thank you to you because early on when I started doing HLM, I was still learning how to build beyond my job. And you noticed me on HLM and Core TV talking about these cases. And you brought me onto the Steve Harvey show. And I got to tell you, that did wonders, not only for my ability to communicate with right. people, mm-hmm. but for getting to know a new audience mm-hmm. and for, for getting people to trust me in these areas of cases. Mm-hmm. Because Steve Harvey's audience was so big and it was so diverse. Mm-hmm. And, and the talent on the Steve Harvey show was so willing to engage with me on the show. It taught me that I didn't have to just be restricted by what I was doing in television. I could do other things. I could jump on Steve Harvey's show. I could jump on all these other shows. And it gave me the level of confidence that I didn't have before that moment. So I just I just wanted to step out and say thank you for that. Thank because you. you kept putting me on. Yes. Um in a way that like shocked me so much <laughs> and made me so happy, but at the same time, got me out of this mindset of just television. So from there, I expanded it. I said, look, I want to do sports. I'm going to start telling HLN I want to do sports stories. Right. I went to HLN. I said I want to do more. They started putting me on as an anchor. Then they gave me my own show. And eventually I segued it to ABC where I used some of the stuff that I learned not only from working with you, but also working from H- working at HLN to really start in on having a sports beat for GM, for Good Morning America and shows like that. And that's really where it began in terms of covering sports. Well, I'm going to just tell you, thank you for the compliment. Uh, thank you for having the talent. And 
I would tell you, anybody, because when I look at somebody like Ryan, he's talented, and plus he's a grinder. I say, it's a lot of people want to do what he do. A lot of people don't uh, answer the call. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, uh, what, uh, tomorrow? Because I call him at the last minute sometimes. I see it on TV. Oh, yeah. I say, Monica, call call Ryan. I, 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 see if he can do the show tomorrow. And then I was asking him to come into an environment where I had comedians, uh, and he didn't. And, and honestly, he had to trust me too because of the fact that he was a he was a, a lawyer. He was on a uh, he was talking serious stories. And sometimes Steve Harvey or nephew Tommy would bend a question to him that he had to stay focused on. He had to see the story true. And so that's what I respected the most about it. You understood the balance of what I was trying to do. You understood entertainment, but you also entertained and understood the, the storytelling of telling the story correctly. That was a gift that you have, my friend. And it shows uh, up. Oh, thank you. It shows up on TV every time I watch you. It's a, it's a nice humbleness in your reporting. And um, we, we was on radio back then. Now you're on TV. So nobody saw us back then. You just, just heard your voice, just heard your articulation. <laughs> And now just seeing you on TV, it's still, it's still watching the sports side of you. You know, you come from a Philadelphia market, which is like crazy about sports. It's so opinionated, so in your face. It's like, how do you, how do you, you know, you Philadelphia just had a, I can say, disastrous basketball season. You, the baseball team still frustrates <laughs> you. They got rid of the quarterback that they thought was going to be the quarterback of the future. We don't know if Jalen Hurts is a quarterback. Talk to us about. I'm so proud to be from Philadelphia. How proud are you in football, basketball, and baseball? <laughs> I'm always proud. <laughs> no, let me th- let me tell everybody the key to being a Philadelphia sports fan and why everything you said doesn't even make me angry. <laughs> we expect, we expect to be bad. We expect it. Wow. If good things happen, mm-hmm. we're elated because we always thought we were going to lose. It's like, I, I got to tell you this funny story. Like a friend of mine called me after we won the Super Bowl. Uh, a couple years back. And he was like, man, you finally did it. We've been ripping off Philly all this time. You finally won the Super Bowl. What do you think? I'm like, man, I don't know. Can we do this again next year? It's like, that's the Philly <laughs> fans mentality. It's like, we can't accept anything for being real in terms of success because we've had so much failure. Right. And because right. every other city around us has so many wins. I mean, we're right down the road from New York. Mm-hmm. We got Baltimore not far away. We got DC not far away. And mm-hmm. it's like, we We've had to deal with all their success. So for us, it's like we're expecting to lose. So when the Sixers blew it in the playoffs this year, it wasn't like I was hanging on like this is our year. I was like, man, Ben Simmons can't shoot. So how are we going to make it to the finals? Right. And we didn't make it to the finals. So I wasn't devastated. Right. (laughs) So it's kind of like, and I hate that I'm that way. And it's like, I got, I have two young kids now. And they're Eagles fans. And I try to tell them, like, no, you got to be positive about your team. They're like, well, then, Daddy, why do you always think they're going to lose? And I'm like, well, don't listen to me. Just focus on it. Let me ask you like, this, Brian. I got a sports expert and a Philadelphia fan. You see Ben Simmons. You see Giannis, who had who went to that line despite the booze. He went to that line, he, and he took the shots. Can yeah. Ben Simmons – Make that transition. Yeah, let me tell you. So so the, the, this is what we all kind of feel about Ben Simmons. We think that the first couple years in Philly, because he was such a great talent and because he could do so many things well, the coaching staff there and the management there didn't push him 
to go beyond what he was good at. Mm -hmm. And so the demands, what you got to say to a player is, look, you got to shoot in this game. You're not going to shoot. You're going to sit on the bench. You're the superstar. Great. You made the all-star team. Great. But you're not shooting. You're on the bench. Mm -hmm. Oh, he didn't take a shot this game. Let's put him in in the second quarter. Like you got to teach him that way. He gets mad. He sulks, whatever. Dude's under contract. Where's he going to go? So it's like, you got to treat him like that. And that didn't happen in Philly. So years and years and years go by. And that didn't happen coming into this season. So he learned this mentality of being good at what he was good at, but not wanting to try and not wanting to work at what he wasn't good at, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that he knew that would hamper him in the playoffs. So once we got into the playoffs and the heat was turned up and people started hacking him, and I give the, I give the Wizards credit because they came up with the system of let's hack Ben, let's right. send him to the line. Mm-hmm. Once he couldn't make the shot, his mental broke down, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, 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 I can't do this, so I'm going to avoid it at all costs. Right Now I'm not driving to the basket because I don't want to get fouled. This is a really important lesson for all your listeners and anybody who's watching today. And we're talking about getting into the TV business and all of this because I've learned this lesson firsthand. When I started in this business, and Rashawn, I'm sure you have the same experience. There was a lot that I wasn't good at. Yes. A lot. Yes. But the thing is, you got to go on air and make the mistakes. Mm-hmm. I used to have a YouTube channel where people could look me up and see all the mistakes I made, <laughs> including not knowing where the camera was, not knowing what show I was on. I mean, it's like you got to go on and make these mistakes mm-hmm. in order to get better. Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to make the mistakes in terms in front of everyone, if you're not willing to ask the stupid questions, if you're not willing to extend in ways that you haven't extended before, you don't get better and you remain the same exact talent. And I got to tell you, Sean, I've known people in this industry. It's like they're playing the same old song every single day. And Absolutely. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying, how can you expect to get further and be better unless you're extending beyond your comfort zone? So that's the big problem with Ben Simmons. And we can relate it to what we're talking about right now. It's like anybody watching who wants to get into anything or wants to be like you, mm-hmm. be a top of their industry, you didn't get there without making mistakes. That's true. Public mistakes. Yes. yes. Pub- mistakes other people can see. And you grew from them. And you got better from them. And that's what I hope Ben Simmons... I don't think we should trade him. I think we should keep him. I think we should give him another chance. I think he's so good at the things he's good at. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, this is crunch time summer. And he's got to realize it's a life lesson time. Mm-hmm. Am I willing to make the mistakes and be better and look foolish... Yes. In front of a lot of people mm-hmm. at the things I'm bad at in order to be great. If he's I, I'll give him another year with that. If he's willing to try that. Awesome. He's going to be an amazing talent. Maybe one of the best ever. If he's not, he's always going to be who he is. Cool. Uh, my last question is this. Just a, just a part about it that I love about you, that amazes me about you is this. OK, being a sports analyst you know, uh, anchor, you know, you, the monitor feeds you the information. Okay. And then you come on there, then you come on there and then you're an analyst from a legal perspective, which is, which, 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 which which is also, I think even more difficult because you're sharing facts and you're sharing definitive moments. Like if you say somebody missed a free throw, we see it. When you, when you come down as a legal analyst and they're asking you your perspective, the journey, the consequences, how are you able to shift those two gears comfortably like that, Ryan Smith? Oh, man, it's hard. <laughs> I tell you, it's hard. And let me tell you, uh, it, it's, you and I met when I was covering Casey Anthony and Jody Arias yes. and those kinds of trials. And I got to tell you, it's really funny to say this. The, the anger and the venom you get for talking about a legal issue in sports was 10 times greater wow. than anything I ever experienced talking about Casey 
Anthony, Jody Arias, George Zimmerman, or any of those cases. Mm-hmm. It's just the intensity. Like I remember I covered the Ezekiel Elliott uh, story when he was um, he was facing some domestic violence yes. issues and the NFL was suspending him. Cowboy fans were all over every word I said. And it was like, I'm just trying to report the facts. Yes. I'm just trying to tell you how the analysis they don't care what you're anti-cowboy i hear you're from philly you're trying to sink my boy like so that 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 makes you even have to have a higher standard of i gotta get everything right i can't make any mistakes so you ask how i make the transition to me it's almost different sides of your brain so you're right when you're anchoring a lot of times you've got prompter and you're ad-libbing too but i gotta tell you i'm gonna come back to you again being on steve harvey having to flex with being like getting into Working with comedians, but also giving analysis, it taught me flexibility. Mm-hmm. Being on HLN and CNN, a lot of times you're ad-libbing in the field. It taught me that sometimes you're reading the prompter, but then also sometimes you have to be able to give coherent thoughts quickly. Yes. And so for me, it's almost about separating different sides of your brain. One is I'm reading, I'm telling the news, which is your anchoring. But the other side is when you're doing legal anal- when you're doing legal analysis. The key for me, Rashawn, research, research, research before I even show up on air. So my whole job is I got to know the issue back and forth, left and right, be ready for any question. And sometimes I tell them, don't even tell me the question. I I just put the onus on myself to know as much as I can. Then when they ask the question, the first job I have to the viewer is whatever is complicated, I got to make it simple. Yes. I got to start out with a way to take whatever's most complicated about this issue. Okay. Here's what Deshaun Watson might be facing. Make it simple. Give me one statement right up front. Just the crux of it. And then go into the analysis. To me, if I know my material well, I can boil it down and give it to you in 30 seconds to a minute. The most important facts. And I can only do one or two things. I can't try to jump on 17 different things. And that's the key. The key is like taking that complicated stuff and making it simple. Research. Do the work. And then... When I'm giving the presentation, know my audience. If my audience is Sports Center, I know the time frame that they've got to listen to me talk about a legal issue. Each question is like 40 seconds. Right. What can I give them that's powerful about this case that is different in terms of the analysis? That's something they didn't know in 40 seconds. And how can I do it as simply as possible using the easiest possible words? That's the challenge. And so the way I do it is I just think about how we're talking right now. We're just having a normal conversation. Why do I have to throw in words like res judicata and <laughs> promissory estoppel? Like that right. is just, you know, let's just have a conversation like I would. And it's almost, and I just say one thing, when I was, um, when I was practicing law, mm-hmm. I had a partner who used to advise me, he was one of my mentors. And he told me, if the client doesn't understand you, you haven't done your job. Yes. That's what I was raised in. Mm-hmm. So my job was always not to always be the smartest guy in the room but was to make sure my client understood where I was coming from clearly, completely. And that's what I do on air. The job is not to overcomplicate it for you. It's to make sure you understand it. And if people didn't understand it, I haven't done my job. Well, Ryan, um, I understand you, my friend. I'm glad we took time to talk. Uh, again, you're family. And so we'll talk again in the fall. But again, I'm so Love proud to. of you. I'm, I'm so absolutely proud of you, man. And uh, when I get up to New York, we, 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 we'll connect. But again, in Bristol, we'll connect. But again, uh, keep winning, man. And don't change. And thank you for coming on Money Making Conversations. Thank you for having me. And Rashawn, again, thank you for helping start my career and really helped me build my career. I mean, you you were such an important part 
of getting me started and getting me launched. And I really appreciate it. I'll never forget it. It's great to talk to you. Thank you, my friend. If you want to see or hear any of my interviews on Money Making Conversations, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.